Welcome to another episode of the Jackpot Podcast. I'm Victor, and as always, on this podcast, we talk about the experiences of Nigerians who live in the diaspora. On today's episode, I have with me um, one of the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts. I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, everyone. My name is Olumide, and I am a current Nigerian, and that's it. <laughs> All right. So Olumide is the one of the hosts of Big Empty Press podcast, which is one of the podcasts I mostly listen, one of the podcasts I mostly listen to. So for me, it's very important for me to have him here. And I'm very grateful that he agreed to do this podcast with me. So Olumide, um, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I have been managing. There's <laughs> absolutely nothing new happening. I I live in Baltimore, Maryland. So the the seasons just changed, which means that it's time for me to do some spring cleaning, meaning putting away the heavy coats, putting out the light coats, that kind of yeah. thing. So that's what I've been doing all. But otherwise, I've been fine. I've been very well. How about you? I've been well trying to. So school started just uh, recently started for me. So I'm basically still trying to get used to my new schedule, and then. Of course, like you said, it's spring. The weather is getting warmer. So trying to also figure out what I'm supposed to wear per time. Or each time I leave the house. <laughs> I have expected you to call traffic in a bit. That's actually one of the things I enjoy about your podcast. Whenever you drag the traffic, it's always very interesting to listen to. <laughs> but I tell you that I wish I lived in a city that had very good public transportation because I have to drive everywhere. Down the street, I have to drive. There's no public transport. And the problem is there are too many people who live here. So now all of us are driving past in the road. Nobody can move. And I'm sitting there for 90 minutes. Why? I can so, yes, imagine. I, I, do. <laughs> huh? I, can, I can imagine how it feels. I mean, I can't relate because fortunately for me, the traffic here in Germany is nice. It's actually great. And, of course, I can't drive even. So even if the, the traffic was bad. Or the public transport was bad, I would have still have to stick with it. But it's all good. So let's jump into it. How did your journey to the US start? Mm. Okay. I I don't think I can take credit for any of this because okay. I did not do the work. I happen to have been born to parents who Japad. Okay. And by doing so, they put together all the paperwork that they would have taken to get me here so if you're asking about the actual journey i don't know exactly much of how what it took it's just um for i guess until i was a certain age and then all of a sudden my parents said hey we're moving and i said okay and that was it that was pretty much it i, I did know that it, it had been a long time coming that we would move but when it actually happened it didn't feel special it just felt like we're going you're getting on this plane and you're getting to this place. And that was it. Interesting that you mentioned that it's you saw it's coming because it's not very unusual for Nigerian parents to make decisions and not get their children involved. Basically, <laughs> just drag you through it. Like, wake up in the morning, you're traveling, that kind of thing. That was actually what I was expecting would have happened. So, yeah. but when you were informed or when you got to know about it, did you... I'm trying to understand how did it feel for you? Because was it something like you were looking forward to or wages they're like, okay, whatever? No, I, I think okay, so I guess I'm I, I should go into more details. Uh I was looking forward to it. I did it had been so the short story of it is um my parents moved here much when I was much younger. So I guess I was six. And for those six years they were here and I was there. So I lived with family members, aunts, uncles, that kind of thing. And there really wasn't, obviously I didn't see them often. So I'd get a phone call here and there. And so eventually when it became that there was an opportunity for me to go live with them again, it had been like at least two or three years in the works. So I was waiting for it. I was excited to be reunited to my, with my parents, this kind of thing. And I guess that might have taken two three years that starting from the moment when it was like oh it's looking like we're all just going to move to x place 
So it had been like a whole two year, maybe three year process. And at the end of it, the end of it was just, hey, we're going to wait until you finish this trimester. And then in this month, you're going to get on this plane and you're going to finally that was pretty much it. But yeah, I was I was looking forward to it. I I was excited for very few reasons because I had never been to the US before. Mm-hmm. And I had heard all these wonderful things as a young Nigerian that would be very thrilling to experience. And yeah. of course I was looking forward yeah. to that, but you know, the innocence of being a 13 year old who's moving abroad, you really don't think about anything serious except that, oh hey, this is a new exciting opportunity. I did, however, have a slight feeling that I would miss a few people. Okay. And that was it. So did you miss those people? And who are these people you felt you were going to miss? <laughs> no, I, I felt that um I don't know. I think the the aunt that I lived with, I knew I'd miss her. And I don't think I had very many close friends in the boarding house. I don't know why. I guess because I moved around quite a bit, but I I felt like the the friends that I did think were close, maybe one or two of them, I would miss. But everything else was I I didn't know I missed the actual environment. I was so happy to be out. <laughs> when I tell you, I was so happy to be out of there that I didn't think I would miss the environment. And now I think I do miss the environment. I think I should have been more forgiving of the environment before I left. <laughs> You know the funny thing, when people ask me what if I miss Nigeria, and I'm not always sure what to answer, but I know if I eventually answer, I usually talk about missing the environment more than I talk about the people. And some people don't really? understand it. Yes, I think I miss, I miss wait, the wait, wait, environment. Back up. Now I'm curious. Sorry? Now I'm curious. Wait, you miss the environment and not the people. but you. So the reason I'm curious about that, sorry, I'm, this is your podcast and you ask the question, no, no, but no, I'm no, very curious. Allow me this one. <laughs> So my question to you is the fact that you lived in Nigeria long enough to be an adult, you've lived in Nigeria that you actually know what adult relationships look like and you still say you miss the environment more so than the people. How so? Yes. Okay. When I say people, I mean, you know, the people I'm expected to miss, family, friends and all of that. I miss all of them, but I miss the Nigerian environment, Mm -hmm. the chaos, like Lagos is chaotic, the smell of it, the I mean, I think the people are part of the environment. Seeing people dressed a certain way in the way that you don't see them dressed here and how people communicate on the street. So everything that happens in Nigeria generally uh-huh. is what I miss. I think I miss that more than I miss actual individuals. I don't know if that makes wow. sense. Wow. So, so my question, well, this is very fascinating to me. So all the friends that you had, Starting at, I guess, what's the age of adulthood? Let's say 16 in Nigeria, because everybody goes to university at 16. All the friends you've had from the age of 16 until now, how many of those people were close enough for you to miss them when you left? I speak with my parents on the phone almost every day. That is fascinating. Okay, that's it. That's the only question that I have. So you don't, you don't feel like you miss them because you at least still have a continuing relationship with them. Yes. And um, for me, once I finished university, I lost um, some kind of, I was no longer in the, the same physical space with most of my friends. As so always, yeah. when Nigeria, if I was going to see them, I was going to have to hop on a plane or go on a bus ride for like six hours or so. So most of the friendship, at least after I left university, was online. So it doesn't feel much different even being here because we still talked on the phone, did video calls when we see the need. It's just the same thing. But what I miss more is just the atmosphere of being in this place that is chaotic, in this place that could be dirty sometimes, depending on the location. People being aggressive sometimes. People just meeting you on the streets to give you advice that you didn't solicit for. And all of everything that makes being in Nigeria be Nigeria. Nigeria, That's what I miss the most. Then the people and then the food, of course. Of course, the food. That makes sense. That make, okay, you know what? You've explained it very well. That makes sense. Yeah. So can you remember when you first moved to the US, what's your first memory? Like when you think about moving to the US, what's the first memory that's really stuck for you? Oh, I. this is so vivid. We left the airport because an airport is an airport is an airport. Some airports are different than others. But anyway, we left the airport 
And I actually flew in through Los Angeles Airport, Los Angeles International LAX. And we drove out of the airport and I was amazed at how big the freeways were. Side to side, 10 lanes, one way. Okay. It was, I had never seen anything like it before. I was like, why is the road so big? Like, it didn't make sense to me why the road needed to be so big. But I remember that memory very vividly. I thought, wow, there's 10 lanes on one road. And the cars were going really fast, faster than I was used to. You know, Lego says always traffic. You can't go more than, what, 50 miles an hour, if that. But, yeah, I was very, I was very fascinated by that. Just as this is a whole new place, like a whole new place. Interesting. I mean, I think there's there's a difference in the time we left. Not just how old we were, but I think the timelines. And yeah. I think maybe I've seen a lot of abroad that it felt familiar when I got there. But I also remember feeling that the road, I think I also noticed that the road was quite different. I was in Austria first. They had they, they were in 10 lanes, but it still felt different in the way I knew roads to be in Nigeria. And I think I noticed almost immediately that people drove better in Austria. Mm, You know what? I'm going to fight you on that one. I'm going to fight you on that one. I don't think Nigerians are bad drivers. I think they are aggressive drivers. But I've never met a a driver out of Nigeria who is more skilled than a Nigerian driver. No, I don't think. It's not about the skill. It's about actually aggression, how... Yeah, it's the aggression. Yes. The drivers see if they are trying to basically they are racing to hell. Like, let me just <laughs> get into an accident, die and, and go to hell, that kind of thing. But you see that the people were more they seemed more coordinated in the way they drove. And mm. the way people cross the road, I don't see people using this um crosswalks in Nigeria. I don't even think I saw anything like that in Nigeria. So seeing people, first of all, standing and waiting for the red light and all of that, I was like, oh, okay. But but actually for me, as much as I observed all of that, the first thing I thought was, so this is it. Right. How disappointing. Are you saying it, it wasn't as in... Like, okay, so after all this stress of the whole visa process, so this is like, so this is it. And then like, this is my life in the next coming weeks, months or however. I think That's interesting. that was the first thing that really occupied my mind. I mean, I had some, I was, very, I'm a very observant person. So I was observing the road, I was observing people's dressing, realizing that I'm feeling cold, but most of them like, okay, so this is it. Okay, so I have, again, I, this is a fascinating thing you've just said because my questions would be one, was it that you were underwhelmed in general or because you're comparing it to the amount of work you had to do through the visa process as though, so this is the end of the journey and then what? So which I, is it? I think it's more of, okay, this is the end of the journey and then what? I see, I see. Because it's, wow. it's it was a long process, to be honest. Also, I have to say, before you even ask another question, I have to say that I'm I'm very impressed that if I were an adult who lived in Nigeria now, when I tell you I'm dying in that country, because the thought at your age to live what you know to be familiar and just go and pursue something where you, are, you don't know what the next 15 steps are going to be. Of course, you know what the next 15 steps are going to be because you're you. But in general, it's a whole new experience that you're signing up for. Yes. I, I would think, be so scared. Okay. Do you know, the funny thing is, it's one of those things you don't think too much about until it's beginning to happen. Because I knew I was going to study abroad for my master's. I wasn't sure when. I wasn't sure how. And I put it off a long time because I was not ready for that change. And then all of a sudden, I was ready. I thought I thought I was ready for it. So I said, doing the research I needed to do, and then start working towards it. And you know, when you start working towards it, you realize that it's a little more complicated than it seems. Oh, it doesn't it? seem to be. Yeah. It's not a walk in the park. And then it takes time. It takes planning. You have to decide when is the right time to do my application. Which schools do I apply mm-hmm. to? Get all the documents ready. When do I apply for visa? And all the processes. 
So it's within that time, I think there's a part of me that was getting ready mentally as per this is going right. to happen, Everly, but it still felt scary. And one of the things I used to say was, I feel like I'm broker than I used to be in Nigeria. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I earn more money when you convert it to Naira, but I don't feel as rich as I felt in Nigeria. Because in Nigeria, with the small money I was earning, I could pay for certain services without thinking twice. I, I, I I can pay for laundry. I can afford to eat out every day of my life. These are things I could do without thinking about the maths of it. Here, I find that every small penny I have to spend, I'm like, can I? It has to be budgeted. What happens? Let's say if I run out of money, who do I call? In Nigeria, I'm very confident if I run out of money, I call one or two person, there's money in my account. So it's, it's, let's not get into that. Let's talk about you some more. No, this is a conversation. I'm I, I'm also fascinated on this end. Maybe, look, you have to come to the empty person. We have to discuss this problem. Yeah, but anyway, I'll, but, I'll, yeah. I'll be honored, to be honest. I'll be honored. I was, I was thought about being there, but I was not sure what I was going to discuss with you guys. It doesn't matter. Christy, we don't know either. You and Christy, I wouldn't even know what to say because you guys' um, level of sarcasm, it floors me all the time. <laughs> so... um. Okay, now back to the question you asked me. Of course, I understand you might be younger, but also it's also must have been life altering to an extent because you're living what you're familiar with. You're living your the few friends you had. You're living. You're going with your immediate family. You're joining your immediate family, but you still had some aunties that were close to you that were very supportive when your parents were in there. Having in mind that did did this bother you at that time? Or when did you realize that this was actually, wow, a big thing you did moving out of the country? Um, I don't. So let me put it this way. I didn't think it was. a. I knew that it was going to be a big change, but I didn't think too hard as to what it would mean for the relationships that I had, because I happen to have gone to many schools. I didn't stay in one place for more than a year. And that was a function of the fact that my parents were in there and I just had to go live with whoever was available at that time, yeah. which just meant that I had to change school every time I had to go to a new place. That's just what it meant. So I, at that point, I had learned not to put too much energy into investing into any one relationship in any one place because I knew it was going to end very quickly. That was just simple. So as of the time I was leaving, I think at best I had acquaintances and maybe superficial friendships. So it didn't occur to me that that was a big thing to leave behind because it would just be the same thing as instead of moving from Moingbo to Bayada. Like it was just going to be an, another change like that. And I had done several dozens of those already at that point. So I don't think it occurred to me that I was going to miss any of these people or that I wouldn't see them for a very long time because last, last, we'll buy a Lebarra credit and we'll call them. Yeah. But. I, I didn't feel, but what I did feel was a sense of relief that maybe at this point in my life, I wouldn't have to move so often again, just because whoever was available to take me now, I'm going to go live with my parents. And now that moving around will stop a little bit. And then I would actually be able to stay in one place and stop building lasting relationships that aren't superficial. That didn't work like that, by the way. But I know that's happened for another day. Yeah, but essentially that was, I was actually looking forward to the fact that maybe now I wouldn't move so much, move around so much. That that was the, that was what I was thinking. You know, now that you mention it, I also think for me, we moved out, we moved around a little too much, but it was in the one, in one city when I was growing up. So it's not like, so I didn't have to change schools. The only thing it meant that maybe school became further or maybe nearer, depending on where you moved. So I still went to the same schools. But I found that just like in your case, you find that you, you stop trying to make new friends. So when you moved to a new neighborhood, I wasn't trying to build any friendship in the, in the neighborhood because in my mind, maybe in two or three years, we end up leaving this place and what's their sense of it? And I think to an extent, it has also kind of helped me because for me, when I it didn't, I never really had friends. I think that's what Rob is. I never had friends that lived around. My friends are always friends from school, friends I met maybe in one event and we talked. So I think it also kind of helped me because I don't feel like 
it didn't feel like I was doing something I've never done before. The only thing that changed mm. is now the um the distance. But in terms of moving, I felt like, I, well, I was moving again. Since I finished university, I've lived in about three states in Nigeria. So, but for you now, for your family, in terms of your relationship with your mom, now that you reconnected, did it, um, was it what you expected? How did things, how did things become different for you? Uh, it wasn't, but I don't, I think that, it never is. And I, I'm not, this has, this has nothing to do with any specific relationship I have with anyone. But I'm saying if you've been away for, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be your mom. It could be your friend. It could be your uncle, your aunt, whatever. If you've been away for someone for so long, your expectations of what they would be like would be very dependent on the last time you saw them. And in that context, right? Sure. So if I hadn't seen my mom since I was six, I was six and she was my mom. But at this point, now I'm 14 and she's still my mom, but I'm no longer six. Yeah. Which means that my expectations of her would be as they were when I was six. And it was very different, clearly. Just like I'm sure her expectations of me would be very different too because I'm no longer a six-year-old. So I think that in that way, it wasn't the same. But you you, you learned, it's like meeting a new person, you yeah. know. There, there's some remnants of memories, but you're building a whole new relationship with them at this point. So you just start from there. That's exactly what it is. And then at 14, that means you have to start school. Yes. <laughs> okay, I was speaking to someone who is also, who had moved as a young person, and he was talking about having to do this um English course because of the sudden he felt like he couldn't speak English anymore and all of that. So I'm curious as to how it was for you. What, how did it feel starting going to a new school system? I'm imagining there's going to be a lot of difference in the curriculum, right. in the style of teaching, and then of course, maybe the language barrier. How was it? When I tell you that um, my mother was screaming, because <laughs> first of all, I left. When I tell you, I left Nigeria, I had finished SS1. So logically, the next step would be We'll do the remnants of the last year of high school and then leave. I got here and they said, you know what? That they have to convert all my transcripts. Okay. And they couldn't, they couldn't believe that at my age, I had taken all those subjects. They thought oh. it couldn't be true. Right. But you know how we are as Nigerians. Your child enters school, you just start railroading them, you just push them, push them, push them, push them. But the point is, I got here and they were like, no, 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 we don't accept that. And they were like, actually, we we place children into grades based on their age, not quite their education. That's public school in the U.S. Yeah. So it did matter out that you had taken too many subjects. The fact that you were 14, that was the age for ninth grade. So you're going to ninth grade. Ninth grade is the equivalent, quote unquote, equivalent here as JS1. Oh, wow. So that's and like going back three years. Three years. I was screaming. I was like, hey, in another four years, I won't be done with high school. My mates are entering and finishing university, starting their lives in Nigeria. What nonsense is this? Ashe, we got there. They now said that me, I should do reading exam. Ashe, I can speak English, but they have to test me. They now give me a nonsense pamphlet. I started reading the pamphlets. They let me finish the pamphlet. And then after, they said, actually, I need to go back to English for a second language. Wait, I just started learning English now. Okay, for context, my mother is a linguist. My mother teaches French and English. Well, she did. And she says, excuse me. I say, you must be foolish. My son, in English as second language. Are you mad? But the point is, I read English at that point with the Nigerian accent, all yeah. the pauses and all the things that go along with it. I've since learned to, you know, emulate this nonsense accent so they can hear me better but at that point they honestly thought that i was an illiterate wow yeah so i went and i did english a second language i was like you know what silver lining last class i'll enter this class i'll get a free a plus 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 because they will think i'm stupid and i'll just be passing the class like play so at least it's a good bit halfway through that semester the teacher came to me and i said look sir you need to fuck off my class i said what so can I curse on this podcast? You can, please. <laughs> Good. 
He said, I need to fuck off. I said, why, sir? He said that me, I'm wasting my time in this class because he knows that I'm able to ace the test. I understand all the rules of grammar. I speak clearly very good English that he thinks it's not going to serve me for me to remain in this class, that I need to then go into the higher level advanced English class. Yeah. I didn't want to go because I was enjoying free A. <laughs> it was very easy. They'll ask you with the different there, 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 and there. They'll put tense in front of you. I mean, while I'm getting free aid, the class that I have to, I turn my brain off, I can just sleep in the class and still get an aid. Then I'm going to put me inside hard class. I should be reading Moby Dick. Are you mad? <laughs> anyway, but that's exactly how that went. How about, how are you finding the, the language, um, by the way? Are you going to, are you working mostly? Oh, I'm Sammy. Sorry, dear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, I paid a lot of money in Nigeria to learn German. But Good. what happened because I left earlier, later than I was supposed to. So within the time I was waiting, I stopped practicing. By the time I came to Germany, first in Austria, they speak German. When I went to Austria, first I realized, of course, I knew from my German class in Nigeria that they had a different accent. Mm-hmm. But seeing it play out was a different ball game. Because the German you learn in school is the one they speak in Germany. Back in Nigeria is the one they speak in Germany. And then here you're in Austria, they're saying something. It just sounds familiar in a way that you, you don't understand. You just know this sounds familiar, but you don't understand. So it's, that was the first shocker. However, I, interestingly, most people here speak English. Yes. Um, some people do not, but I speak enough German to do basic things, do my groceries, say one or two things to people. But if I really have to, I can't hold conversations. I have a question for you then. Okay. Sorry, before you go on, when you work, is the language of instruction and communication at work German or English? English. My program is in English. Are they hiring? Are they hiring? Well, I'm coming. They might be hiring. Of, of, no, of course, to be honest, a lot of companies in, Gem- in Germany where you can work and speak English. So my company is... You don't have to, you don't have to talk about the communication this. Is in English. The, the communication is in English. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. That's very good. So they also have, because an international organization, the German, the German part of the business, they speak in German, but I work with the international office, like... So I don't, I don't even meet the German colleagues, so right. to speak. So I speak in English. I only got an email once in German. Uh, when I responded in English, the man had to apologize for having assumed that I spoke German. So. Oh, that is so. See, I, those people over there, they have common sense because the people, I feel like as, as though the, the people in Germany, seem to be more aware of themselves, meaning that if they speak to you in German and they'll realize that they may have falsely assumed that you speak or you should have. Anyway, if you go to a place like France, they don't send you. They don't fucking send you. They'll speak to you the wrong thing. If you respond to them in the wrong thing, they'll give it to you hot hot. They don't even say, oh, I'm sorry that I assume. They do not care. So that's my point. But anyway, that's really good that, uh, you know, the instruction or the communication language work is in English. That's really cool. I guess. <laughs> so, but basically from what you said, you didn't like kind of struggle in the school system in the United States, aside the oh, I did. Mass placement. I did. Oh, please. When I tell you that for the actual, depends on the subject material. Okay. You know, we as Nigerians, we are proud people. We are born with the how hard can it be gene. If you enter class, last class, you won't carry like no matter what you do, you must it not carry be. it. <laughs> can't be. So I do think that in that aspect, the the work ethic that it took to be good good enough at school, I didn't have to worry about that. But there are some courses that even the work ethic won't take you there. Because I remember I was learning US history, AP US history, and I was struggling with that class. Because there are some things that were, it's almost like the learning curve in that class was a little steeper for me because I didn't have any knowledge of U.S. history yeah. prior to that point. So these people were competing as as there's a base knowledge. They already know all the states in the country. 
They know which ones are next to each other. They know which are the characters. Just if you live in America for 15 years, you're watching news every day, you kind of have a sense of that yes, stuff. You've yes, seen yes, them up yes. a few times. I'm just coming from God knows fuck where, and you already have that information, and the exam is asking very specific questions, and I have to sit there thinking really hard because I have to draw everything from memory I've only created for the past three months. And you are drawing from memory you've created over the past 16 years. Yeah. So I found yeah. that that's really hard, and I just had to work extra hard to put all this knowledge in my head. And then I moved high schools in between. So I had done two and a half years in Los Angeles. And then after the two and a half years, I moved to Maryland. And I had to do a whole new school where this school system, because California has like this A through G school system where you do all these classes in a very specific way. And you go to college in California. But in Maryland, it was a completely different thing. And I had to relearn the requirements, all of the work I had earned and all the credit I had gotten from the school I was coming from did not apply here. Okay. So I had to restart again from scratch. And these, these children in this new school, this is a Nozuni Air School. These people, their children had been playing the system since the beginning of high school. So I think, I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but here we have grade point averages. In high school, I guess in almost high school and university, you can do the highest to be a 4.0 yeah. if you don't have any. Weighted greater than four zero, but if you start taking all these more difficult classes, quote unquote, advanced placements, when they add all of it, those higher weighted classes can come with the five. So if you average five and four, if you say the highest you can get without a uh, weighted is four, you end up having a GP of four point five, four point seven, and I had come without anything weighted. With a four point zero, so basically you're you're struggling to build from the ground up. They, they were packing all these advanced placement classes, and I didn't understand why advanced placement photography, advanced placement basket weaving, shoe shining, what then by five, and I was coming with a four. So I didn't think at my old school, I was certain that this valedictorian Kenny is in the bag. Please in the bag, I I can't miss. Yeah, and I moved to this new school. I was screaming. I was screaming. But um, yeah, I struggled those two years. I was really just trying to play catch up. I knew that the competition was stiff. So, but otherwise, we we move, as they say. Well, that. Wow, that must be interesting. But I think it's something that happens once you just move into a new academic system. First of all, I just remember something that happened. It was on Wednesday. One of my professors told me about the scholarship and he said it was for students who are excelling. And I said, I'm not excelling. <laughs> Why now? <laughs> but I, must I, you say such things? I truly am not excelling. I don't know why she assumed I was, but I wasn't excelling <laughs> because, and it's not because I'm not doing enough, but the system is different and Very different. all of a sudden you realize that maybe you could answer questions in exam this certain way in Nigeria, you have an A. You try it here, you have a B. No. Yeah. Or maybe a C a if you're not even lucky. So it's like, I mean, the truth is we can always pretend exam is whatever we pretend about exam. You only pass exam when you know how it works. Yep. It doesn't, right have, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't know how the exam works, you cannot pass it. So for right me, there. as long as I've been here, I've been struggling to find out how it works. And I don't think I've hacked it yet. This does not mean that, I mean, there's there's only how bad it can get. So this doesn't mean that my results are in that much of a shamble, but it's not the best. When I tell you, there are two things that I have to say to that. Okay. I think that... You were right on the money when you said the only way you excel in an exam is if you figure out how to excel in that exam. That exam does not mark your intelligence in any way. It just marks how well you're able to hack this specific exam. And that's how I feel about standardized tests, period. But at the same time, guarantee you 10 out of 10, in two years after I take that exam, that exam won't matter. True. It won't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. So I'm just like this whole thing where we as Nigerians put pressure on ourselves to always do very well in school, which, by the way, is a good thing to have because you just want to stay as competitive as possible. But I think the pressure we put on academic success in Nigeria is not necessary. 
all that matters is that you become, if you choose to do something as your profession or as your livelihood, you just have to be the best at that thing that you possibly can be. And grades don't really matter in terms of that. But anyway, I understand what you're saying with school. When I got to college too, my, I was screaming. I would be struggling, struggling. My friends who are just, they're not working nearly as hard though. They can look at textbook for three minutes. Spam, they're going to face this class. Hey, I'm in here with B, I'm dragging. I say, please, that B must not turn to C. Because they, they just knew how the exam worked and I didn't. So yeah, I don't think the, the way we, we learn and regurgitate, or not regurgitate, I shouldn't say. I think in Nigeria, we learn how to store information yeah. and give the information back that makes it easy for the grader to understand. Yeah. Here, yeah. depends on the classes you take. I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but yeah. depends yeah. on the classes you take here. They're grading very different things and it's a sliding scale for each one. True. So unless you picked up a habit where you can and quickly gauge a situation and figure out what the example possibly because you, that skill you can't just learn once and be done you have to learn it for different places so you have to learn the ability to keep relearning that skill true otherwise you're going to eventually run into a class that you won't be able to apply all the stuff that you've learned right true anyway i'm talking about getting a different horse let's move on <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um how you were able to adapt into the society because i mean outside you're in school you forgetting your grades now you are meeting new people who are most likely going to be predominantly white people how were you able to navigate that and at what point did it dawn on you that you were the different person you are the different person in this group oh i think it took it took longer for me than i thought it would have because uh, what I mean by that is, now, I, I don't want to make this conversation about race, but I live in America, so we almost have to. I think that I didn't start noticing that I was different in the room be- until maybe a year and a half in. Mm-hmm. Because I was aware that, yeah, physically the way I looked was different, but there were other black people in that school. It was Los Angeles. Los Angeles is quite diverse. There are other Latino people in that school. So I didn't feel like an outsider. But it didn't occur to me that besides just me looking black like every other black person, that that African asterisk was yeah. an extra added on top. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, I just look like every other black. No. When I, I had joined um, cross country, because I, look, I was trying to make sure that I was going to have myself the best opportunity to go to the college that I wanted to go to. I joined all this nonsense, sports, getting cock, getting cops killing myself on top of nothing anyway so i joined cross country and we had gone to a, a meet and there was this other really popular runner he was very good but he was white mm-hmm. and i had gone i was the only black person on the team but you fuck we had just gone to you know ah as far popular kinikon runner let's go and see what's up introduce ourselves we went there and his dad was giving this tirade speech talking about the importance of not only paying attention to sports, but to also be academically excellent. And guess who was looking at in the entire team? You. He said that whole speech looking at me. I had occurred to me, this bitch. I looked at the man. I was like, ha, your head is not complete. It can't be. The team oh, where no. I'm the person with the highest grade point average. Are you looking at me? You're mad. But um, I was upset about that. And that's, I think, one of the very distinct moments I remember thinking, oh, no, the game is different for me. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah. How did that realization anyway. make you feel? And did you do anything specifically to change the game? No, I think that realization just... I mean, my mom always says this thing where regardless of where you go, you have to try to be 10 times better. You can't assume you know everything. You have to always learn something everywhere you go because it'll be important for you to always be better than everybody else. Because even then, what you deserve will be given to you. But it's the only fighting chance you have, that kind of thing. Now, my mom is always on this nonsense where she's like, please, none of you must fuck up, which I understand why she does it. So I let her. But um yeah she she always said that but i think at that point i didn't i didn't decide to do anything differently i just decided okay you know what 
this is just what it is. I, I think that's the point where I accepted it. I was like, it just means that I have to continuously work 10 times harder than everybody else. It's going to be exhausting. Yes, exactly. But I just accepted that. And it's almost like resigning yourself to knowing, ah, this thing is going to be hard, my dear. It's just going to be just resigning yourself to it. Yeah. So I didn't think, I don't think I changed anything. I just accepted that that's what it was. Yeah. Cause everything else that I was going to do, I was going to do anyway. True. But did that, did people's perception of you now as the African kid change at any point? Was that a point where you, it seemed like you have assimilated more or was it something that followed mm-hmm. you for such a long time? I, I, you know, that's a very good question because I don't think I can point to the moment exactly where I felt like ah, I had already fully assimilated. And I still don't think I have, if I'm being honest. But I will say, though, that the first school that I went to in Los Angeles, I had a teacher who didn't feel like saying my full name. So he gave me the nickname Ollie. And that, see, look, at the time I was like, you know what, if it gets the stupid to stop mispronouncing my name, please go ahead. So I didn't fight it. Mm-hmm. And after like a few months of being in that school, I hated that name. But I realized that I had to respond to that name. So at that point, the name already stuck. Yeah. And I was fighting to undo this thing. Please don't call me this thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Nobody outside me. Until I moved and I went to this new school. Yeah. And people would ask, oh, do you have any from your name? I said, no, I don't. You're going to call Lubide with your full chest. Don't play me. Because at this new school, I had an opportunity to change. To change and become who you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. So since then, I've never let anybody get it. Even people who know a lot of Nigerians say, oh, can I show you your name to Olu? I said, no, 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 no. I know where this student is going. You must not. <laughs> I'm going to call the full thing. So, but I do think that now, I guess I haven't been to schooling here and lived here long enough. I think I'm able to code switch depending mm-hmm. on what room I'm in. I, I know exactly what language I have to give them. I know exactly how I have to pace my cadence, how I have to change my intonation and the way I speak. And this changes depending on anybody I talk to. But it's just extra work that I have to do everywhere. So I think I have assimilated more now that people only realize that I'm not just a black person when they read my name. And even when they read my name, they assume that I was born here. Yeah. And I'm like, no, dear, I have a village boy from Saleh, but we always have to, but it depends on what room. I don't have to explain all that to people who are here, but yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a, you always have to know when to code switch back and forth. That's a very interesting question. Okay. So, um, back visit to Nigeria when after you moved when was the first time you visited Nigeria and how did that feel for you oh another good question I left in 2006 I was back in 2009 I guess a month maybe even less briefly I was back and I don't when I was back it's not the case where I got to explore Nigeria I never did by the way I don't think I've I've always well, as we as Nigerian kids, we're sheltered, I think. Yeah. I never got to be an adult in Nigeria. So the only things that I saw different in the time that I left and I came back in 2009 was the inside of my auntie's house. I didn't go out to see what Lagos would have looked like three years after. Yeah. I didn't. We just went for a month and I pretty much just saw the inside of a house for the month that I was there. So mm-hmm. it really wasn't that I got to experience any big difference. So I, that didn't occur to me. But then since then, I've been back to Nigeria one other time. And that I had nothing to compare it to because that was the only time I experienced Nigeria as an adult. Wait, that was that was when we met, 2021? Yes. yes. Oh, so that was your second time of visiting since you moved? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. How did you feel? <laughs> I, I don't know. I I will say that I was happy to be back in a way that I had been yearning to experience Nigeria as an adult because I, you know how we are. I, I was nostalgic about a country that I knew as a kid, but I was like, wait, do I actually know that country? I really don't. So I was a kid when I left. So I was actually really excited to go explore it now as an adult mm-hmm. until I got there and Nigeria showed me shake. Nigeria just took me by the throat and said, hey, I was screaming. But I will say, though, that for the few weeks that I was there, there's something so, by the way, the reason I say that is I didn't go to Nigeria and call my parents or anybody asking to hook me up with anything. I did it as a solo traveler. I said I was going to do this thing to like, eh, voila, I would never do that again. But 
the three weeks that I was there, I will say though that I felt almost at peace. Like it felt like home. Yeah. I didn't have to change fake an accent for anybody unless it was necessary. But I really didn't feel the need to. I I was very familiar with the food. I could go into a store and speak Yoruba to the store lady, something that I don't get to do very often. Yeah, who's going to come? I speak Yoruba to here. So that kind of felt very calming. Like, hey, this this actually is nice. Now, I'm not talking about how hot that but that was. Or how Zenit Bank showed me nonsense and rubbish. How the NIN office was using me to play ping pong. I'm not talking about any of that. But the actual physical me being there was nice. Yeah, do you know, once you mentioned that experience, once you mentioned I just showed you Shake, I remember that because the first day we met, you were really complaining about everything. You were complaining about the NIN, you were complaining about the bank. It was... (laughs) It was a mess. I was tired. Victor, I was tired that trip. I was tired. I hadn't got... I have never gone on a holiday where I've come back more tired than before I left. Nigeria put me to work. I was mad. Like you said, anyway. the learning point is don't do that without getting someone involved. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a thing. To go through Nigeria, you need to know somebody who would help you make some of the calls, pave the way and all of that. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. But I mean, is that something you want to do again? Yes. Yes. 10 out of 10, yes. I know I complain and I'll continue to complain until I die. But you know what? I'm a Nigerian die and die through and through. So I, I definitely would like to go back. I would definitely like to do it again. And the reason is because I feel like I didn't get a chance to make the kinds of friendships that are, I think are only available in Nigeria. Okay. So what I mean by that is... I think the friendships that occur in the U.S. are friendships of convenience. Either you know somebody because you're in a very specific place and you're all pursuing a very specific goal. But the moment you leave that place and you're no longer pursuing that goal, that friendship dies. So most of those connections are superficial. And I think the kind of friendships you make in Nigeria, they will survive distance. They will survive... I don't know. I think people in Nigeria make genuine connections, as in their actual friends. I mean, friendship here is different from what it is in Nigeria. Interestingly, the episode I'm releasing today is about trying to build friendship. And I tell you, in Nigeria, I never struggle with making friends. Yep. I just come to a place and be, and then there's someone who is nice. There's someone who is trying to help. There's someone who is just making conversations. And before you know it, you exchange contacts, you keep in touch, and that's it. But here, you have to work. You have to text the person. Otherwise, they they may not even text you. And Or when they text you, they don't sound enthusiastic to be talking to you. No, I'm not used to it because why am I texting you and replying three days later? You didn't even think there's a need for you to apologize for taking time and you're just responding as if everything is all right. I don't know. I find it very shocking. I actually get your point. But I'm also curious as to, being that you're going to be there for a short time, do you think you're going to make that kind of friendship in such a short time? I'm talking to you two years after I left Nigeria on a Zoom call. Okay. That's my point. Well, that's enough. my point. Fair enough. That yeah. is my point. Like, I, I don't think, again, I don't think the friendships have to be as deep as you've known me since I was two years old. But I do think that I feel more comfortable talking to other Nigerians. I think it's much easier to build relationship with them. There are cultural things that I don't have to explain or expect them to. It's very simple. It, it's so, and I don't think, I don't think that's a function of me being Nigerian. By the way, it is because of the shared culture. But I think Nigerians as a whole, that society is just one that wait, you jam somebody if you vibe your friends with them. The end. True. It's a very communal society. 
I used to think that maybe it's because also because system the systems in Nigeria don't work, so you need people. I think that's partly why we are also that community. No, 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 no. no. Okay. I think that's a cynical way to look at it, which you're not wrong, but I don't think the <laughs> the egg came before the chicken in this case. Okay. I think Nigeria is a communal society, period. And it just so happens that that's beneficial because the government doesn't work. Because at some point, the government in Nigeria did work. Well, worked better than it does now. True. And people were just as communal back then. People were even more communal back then, to be honest. Yes. Yes. So I do think that it's just the way that... And it's, it's, not the sa- it's not just the same... If you go to a place like India, a very similar society. Yeah. You can meet somebody and we'll jam them on your friends. So I don't think that aspect of me wanting to go back to Nigeria for that kind of friendship is a function of me being Nigerian. I think anybody who goes to Nigeria will experience exactly what I've said, regardless of whether or not they're originally from Nigeria. But I do think that those types of friendships, I don't want to go and travel to India and go make it there. Although I could, because people are similar. Why not make it with my own people that I even know on a slightly deeper level? Okay. I mean, fair point. And I, I see where you're coming from. And it makes sense too, because like you've already established our friends in Nigeria and it doesn't feel any different from what I was used to, even though we've not met for such a long time. We still right. talk. I see their WhatsApp status. We respond. We kick you about everything and anything. I spend hours on the phone with my friends like it's something I do almost every day, right? And so I'm, I think that I don't it. even. I don't think I've. I mean, I've. I've not made a friend. A friend that feels like the kind of friendship I have in Nigeria. Right. I have a question for you, by the way. Sorry. Okay. When you when you moved there, did you find look as Nigerians we're everywhere. You can't get rid of us, unfortunately. So I'm sure that in your very close neighborhood vicinity there must be other nigerians do you find making friends with them is easier or is it similar as to everybody else and is it the type of friendship that you remember having in nigeria okay so it's i i came here at the same time with two other nigerians interesting they're the same program as myself and interestingly even though it wasn't planned we live in the same building (laughs) That's nice. Yeah, so we do a lot of things together. I mean, you listen to the first episode. Michelle yes. and I are in the same program. We met on Zoom where we went to, we just attended our, what's it called? This thing you do when you start a program, an introductory class. Orientation. Orientation. orientation yes. Okay. So we met during the orientation. We exchanged WhatsApp numbers. We process our visa together. We came together. So for them, the friendship has been like that. There's been, you know how Nigerian friendship, uh, someone can come into your house because they just want to drink a cup of tea that they had in your house once. Mm-hmm. They can just phone you to know if you have something they need and stuff like that. It's really that kind of friendship. And within the, the time I was... Is, okay. Sorry, when you said you know you know that, I never had those friendships because I left Nigeria before I was old enough to be an adult. Uh, but I know that's what happens because I've seen my parents. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. So I also met another guy. He's Nigerian. I met him in the building. And true to the Nigerian nature, when I was sick last Chris, last December, Michelle and my other friend, Kenny, had gone to work. I texted him. We've only met like once as at the time this happened, but we exchanged numbers Okay, I called him on the phone. I told him I was sick. I can't get anything. I did X, Y, Z thing. He he said, okay, he had all the things I needed. He was going to bring them. And he came, knocked on my door. He had everything I mentioned I needed and some extra things. That is so nice. And it was, I don't think, I don't, I don't mean to say that the people here are bad, but I also don't think there was anybody that I would have met here that I would have just texted like that and right. act in that way. Maybe they would visit me, but it would be at a convenient time that they have had to schedule. Maybe before the time comes, I would have been hale and hearty or maybe dead if the sickness was that <laughs> terrible. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> yeah, but so yeah. Point. Well, what can yeah, I say? And that's the thing. There, there, there aren't that, even now as an adult. Every time I, I'm always looking. But I think the Nigerians who come here and have lived here long enough. Yeah, depends what age they come here. They eventually become like the Americans, so they start to move similarly to that. Which I guess is here. You have for you to survive here. I think you just have to follow follow suits. You can't. But every once in a while, I'll meet a Nigerian here who who gets it. So they are the people who she I I because I've lived here for so long. I've kind of gotten into the habit of i don't show up at your place unannounced if i'm coming i'll call ahead i'll give you a heads up so i don't quite feel comfortable just going to anybody's house grabbing tea from their cabinet and saying look there i just came for your tea that kind of nigerian friendship i don't think i'll have that yet and i want to get to that level i want to be reckless (laughs) i want to go to somebody's house put my spoon inside their stew and be eating directly from the pot and I think the only kind of place I can get that friendship is in Nigeria. So. True. Do you know if I said this, I don't know. I hope if they listen, my friends listening to this, I don't know if it's going to make them uncomfortable. But you know, the friendship you just described, where you just visit someone unannounced, even though I lived in Nigeria, I also was not very used to it. And I think it's also because I had a very sheltered mm. um, childhood yeah. and growing up. So I always kind of had my space and I wanted to protect it. So if people come to me unannounced, it's going to look weird. Why? But again, see, meeting these people and see that they do it sometimes, it's not something they do all the time. Maybe once in a month or maybe even in two months. It doesn't happen all the time. The first time I was like, should I say something about it? But I was also like, Victor, please calm down. The f- value of this friendship is worth more than that. Just yep. them. And I'm used to it now. It's not, it's no longer a problem, but first it made me wonder, should I say something? Are they taking me for granted? Yeah. Are they taking me for granted? But I'm also like, yeah. Victor, first you are in Nigeria and you know, these things happen all the time. Ignore it. And for me, it's the fact that the value of the friendship supersedes that little omission of maybe showing up unannounced or suddenly like the tea instance you mentioned. And he loved the tea so much. And actually I'm happy that he comes to take it sometimes because it's like, oh, it's just a cup of tea. I always have tea. I have different varieties of tea. So it's so you like this that, yeah. you come to take it. What's the big deal about it? When you I know what that, though? Yeah. I will I sorry, hold that thought. I've always I don't I sometimes I look at it both ways. If I'm friends with somebody and I this is the kind of friendship that I have. Yeah, me going over there for that specific tea is maybe a by the way thing. Yeah. I could also just go on Amazon and order that tea. But I yeah. miss that friend, and I know they have that tea. So it's a two for one special. I drink the tea, and I see a friend I haven't seen in a while. Well, well, true, <laughs> true. So for me, I think it's not really a big deal to be honest. Yeah. And it, like you said, maybe you're thinking about buying it because you are you are, you've been out of Nigeria, and I think to be honest, I I just I don't know really, I don't know, but it's part of the whole friendship and. For me too, I think I'm also beginning to become one of those adapting such a way because around this time, okay, no, it wasn't around this time. Close to midnight yesterday, I called one of them to ask if they had a bottle of wine. And that was it. And we end up meeting, eventually I didn't even drink the wine, but we spent about 30 minutes to one hour. They were together at the time I called. So I had to go in quotes to get a wine. But I, I went to my glass to drink the wine and all of that. But we ended up chatting about other things, chatting about school, chatting about other things that is not even related closely to the wine. Right. And I didn't even drink the wine. Yep. And, that's, I, and I feel like that's how friendships work. Well, that's how friendships are supposed to work. Friends that you, they, and they're both your friends and your support system. So True. I feel like... In, in these Western countries, it's very easy to be very isolated and very lonely because nobody's coming to knock on your door because they need a cup of sugar or a drink of tea, you know? So you, you feel a little more isolated and that's a dangerous place to be. So I do think that having a community where it's so easy to see a familiar face in less than what's 10 steps into the apartment, I think that's a very good support system for, I guess, uh, as they say, mental health, can I call, can I call, all of that. It's good. It is a very good support system. Like Christmas, we cook together. 
and we plan to do it again for Easter. Hey, there we go. Yeah. So, and for me, it's for me because I ha- I came from a big family. So Christmas by myself would have been close to which would have felt like death. But having them around, <laughs> doing all the cooking, and we are playing music. We are playing um, Kiss Daniel's music. Today we are cooking Christmas food, and we are dancing and stuff like yeah, that. So that what they one nice. of them had a birthday. Here yeah, you don't make noise past 10, p- 10 p.m. But we're making noise oh. and we're sure people could hear it. But it was not a problem. And we were even ready for whatever the fine was going to be. We're just making merry. And for me, it's actually true. Sometimes it trumps those other moments when you are basically focused on school and all of that. And the funny thing is, if it comes down to it, I can talk about school we work on school tasks together. I've had different group works that I had to do with them, and they were doing their part, even better sometimes. So yeah, I don't mean to bum you out, but it, to be honest, yeah. But imagine, but imagine you were in that building and you did not have a single friend you could do that with, and you had to be in school for four to six years. I'll be. <laughs> Let's not imagine that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that one today. Let's but anyway. imagine that. But it's been a good it's been a good time talking about all of this. And uh, one last question. Now, given your experience as a child, what do you think a parent who is trying to move their family should put into consideration? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think. I think the one thing is like, like the last thing we've just said, understand that your child, unlike you, won't have any support system. And the only support system will be you. So it is your job as the primary support system to help them build others. So you need to get in touch with other parents who have kids this age, because again, this child is coming to a whole new environment. So you have to have a way to make them friends. You have to have a way to in- incorporate them into something. And you can't just force this, for instance, the easiest way to do that is to take them to church. What if the child is not really a kind of church person? So you have to find other ways to help this child assimilate. Otherwise, that child will be, and I've seen this happen many times, especially for people who send their kids to university here in the U.S. from Nigeria. The kid comes, goes to university, doesn't survive one semester. Wow. Because they just literally carry the child and throw them inside a college dorm. Yeah. No support system, nothing. Like they have to learn a whole new thing on top of school and everything. And some kids really just, it's almost like uh, they just shut down. And then they have to take those kids back to Nigeria to just either reset them or put them back in the system that's comfortable for them. Or uh, then they say they are sending the kid home for deliverance because the kid is not doing well in school. And you're just wondering, like, you didn't provide any support system for this person and you sent them across the globe. But anyway, as a parent, I would say that's the one thing you can look out for. At least help your kids assimilate better. Anyway, that's it. My dear, have I used past my one hour? This has been a good discussion. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. There was actually something I wanted to ask you after you mentioned that, but let's leave it for some other you know, time. I, you need to go to sleep, but I, I ain't doing shit, but go ahead. Okay. Let's talk about it. I mean, I can always sleep. It's Sunday. So, you know, there's this thing you... Well, Nigerian parents send their children back home. Did your parents ever threaten to do that? You better edit this part out. You know they did. Okay. I can do that. It's not a problem. I can. I don't care. I don't care. No, they, they definitely sent me back. Was that the tooth time you went in 2009? That, that was... <laughs> oh no yes that was the first time i went back what did you do (laughs) we are not going to discuss it we shan't discuss it as they like to say i'm a bad child we have seen but i mean i think honestly i think that's the other thing i was going to say i think the better question is children who are moving to the u.s what should they look especially if they're not adult age yet what are the things that they should look at and I will say to you, okay. yeah, I don't have any big advice, but let me tell you what I thought I would have benefited from if I knew coming in. 
I think you need to create a very realistic expectation of what you're going into. I know you're a child and you probably can't think of all of this, but you do need to pay attention to that. And then you also need to be very aware of you have missed a very huge chunk of time assimilating in this culture. So you have a lot of catching up to do. Okay. So you need to get here. This nonsense where your, your parents were off the television at 9 p.m. saying you can't watch television. That's fine. Go grab a book. Go listen to music. You're assimilating in this culture. There are references you won't get. You need to know exactly what the top song in 1999 was. But that, uh, that stuff is very trivial. But it actually is what helps you assimilate in this culture. Yeah. So I think you need to be ready to do a lot of work. And that work seems like it's this stupid, frivolous work. But no, you have to listen to the music. You have to learn how watch to the movies. watch the movies, learn, the, learn slangs. the slangs, because you are catching up. And the people who get here and they don't do that work to catch up, they are the ones who still manage to keep their Nigerian accent and their Nigerian mentality. And it doesn't serve them. I don't know if I've made sense. No, yeah, it it it, it does make sense. Yeah, you, you have to. But anyway, that's the advice. The the now on my soapbox, the advice that I would give to the youth, the youth. It's it's okay. Thank you very much. This has actually been a very interesting conversation. It might be longer than my usual episodes, but it's not a problem. But let edit it down. Delete the half thing I said. But I knew I was going to waste your time today. Anyway, it's been a pleasure, Victor. Yeah. Should I say my thanks to your listeners for having me? Well, you should, you could. Thank you all. This has been a very, very, very wonderful experience. Thank you to Victor and those of you who are honoring us with the time you spent listening. All right. Thank you so much for joining Olumide and thank you so much for listening. Um, how do you say this? Um, please remember to follow, subscribe, sh- comment, share, whatever. Do enjoy the rest of your day.